welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to be back with you today. And for the next three weeks, I want to do something that I've, I've done kind of often in the month of August. Um, I have done a series of sermons over the past few years called Bedtime Stories. And, um, and this series of messages that started several years ago uh, began from my own experience because I have in my hand an old Bible storybook that my mom and dad used to read from to me and my brother on a daily basis. And I, I tell you, even now, when I thumb through this old book and I see some of these pictures, it just brings me back to those childhood moments when I heard those stories and there were stories in the Bible that were my favorite. And you know what I realized as an adult? I realized that many of, I guess I could put it this way, the, the, really the foundation of my faith walk happened in those times when my mom and dad sit down with me and, and took the time to read God's word. It was from these stories that I discovered principles that I could apply that built character into my life, taught me how to walk with the Lord. And so every August, I want to stop and say to you as a parent, read the Bible to your children. Find a good Bible storybook with pictures and, and just spend that time with them. As you invest that time, you build in them their own faith and You'll reveal to them principles out of God's word that will build character that will follow the pattern of their life as they move forward. I just kind of expect, as it has been in the past, for this series to be kind of nostalgic and an opportunity for us to be reminded of some of these old truths. Over the last few years, we have looked at a lot of characters out of the Bible. We've we talked about David and Goliath. We, we talked about Joshua and Daniel and Jonah and Noah and Naaman and Joseph. We looked at Naomi and Deborah and Elijah and Elisha, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've looked at Esther. We've looked at a lot of Old Testament characters. We have explored their stories and talked about how their stories can make an impact in our life. And so today I, I want to return to that same thought. And, uh, and I want to begin our journey over the next three weeks talking about a person from the very beginning. So if you have your Bible, go all the way back to the book of Genesis. What we're going to do in our time together today is talk about a guy named Abel. Abel, the second born of Adam and Eve, so his story is recorded for us in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Now, as you make your way to Genesis chapter 4, I want you to do something for me. I want you to put either the little uh, um, tab that is in your Bible or uh, maybe a, a bookmark there once you get to Genesis 4. And then I want you to look with me all the way to Hebrews chapter 11, because we're going to go to the New Testament also to learn about Abel. So uh, Hebrews chapter 11, toward the end of the back part of your Bible, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look together at verse 6. Now, normally, when we hear 
the name Abel. We always hear it in concert with Cain. Cain and Abel. And we know the story of Cain and Abel and how Cain in, in anger kills his brother Abel, the first person murdered in Scripture. The first martyr for their faith in the Bible is Abel. But there are some fun things that we can discover as we look at the text. So look with me at Genesis chapter 4 and let's be reminded of the story. And, and then we're going to look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is referred to sometimes as the Faith Hall of Fame. And we're going to find that Abel made his way into the Faith Hall of Fame. Actually, the first name mentioned in the Faith Hall of Fame in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Now, begin with verse 4. Really, the story begins in verse 3, but just for context, we'll read the first two verses of chapter 4. And now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Do you know that some people believe that Cain and Abel were twins? That maybe there is no time there between the two. She gave birth to one another. I, I'm not really convinced of that. I think that Cain was the firstborn. Abel probably came later. But there are some, nonetheless, who would think that, well, maybe they are twins. Maybe that's why we always hear their name together, Cain and Abel. Again, she gave birth, in verse 2, to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, I want to say this to you because I think sometimes we draw greater distinctions from this text than we need to. Just because they had different responsibilities and jobs and careers doesn't mean that they were that different in character or personality. They grew up in the same home. They grew up in the same environment. They were taught the same truths. They heard the same stories. There were a lot of things that were the same about their upbringing. But how they interpreted that and what they did with that was different. And that's an important truth for us to remember. Verse 3 tells us, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of the flock, his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry. And his countenance fell. That's not a word we use often. You could actually translate the word gaze. His gaze fell. To, to be confident, we look people in the eye. But, but when we're angry, when we're depressed, when we're frustrated, when we don't understand, we have a tendency to kind of drop our head and, and our eyes turn. His gaze turns downward. His heart angered over what has just happened. His countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And, and, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. But you must master it. Now Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, 
and killed him. Now, to really see another part of this story, we have to turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews and in chapter 11, in this passage that we sometimes refer to as the hall of faith, we find the story referenced again. And it is found in Hebrews 11 verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. There's a phrase in that passage of scripture that we need to explore. It's at the bottom of the text where he says, through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Abel has something to tell you. His story has a lesson for us. There's something in that familiar story that you've read and heard and perhaps seen as a child in storybooks that, that, that needs to speak to us in the challenges that we face in life today. So the question I ask is, what is it that he's saying to me? What is it that you're saying? What is it that you're communicating? What? Are you through faith speaking to me? Now, I don't know that I have a, a corner on the truth. I think there might be many things that are being said there, but for our time together today, here are three things that I think Abel is telling us today. Three things that can become the focus of our attention. First of all, I, I, I want you to notice that he teaches us through his own faith experience that we come to God by faith, not by works. From the very beginning of the Bible, all the way back in the book of Genesis, God is communicating to us through Abel that we approach God by faith, not by works. That we are made right with God through his work, not ours. Now, we need to look at this story because on first glance, God seems a little unfair. In fact, he seems a little harsh. I mean, Cain comes and brings an offering to God. He wants to worship God. He believes in God. He engages in worship and he brings to God the best he has. I mean, after all, he's not bringing, you know, a shirt that you never wear anymore to the Salvation Army. He's not bringing something worn out that has been disregarded. Man, he's bringing the best of the best and he worked hard for it. Remember, the ground had been cursed. So he worked hard to produce the fruit of the ground. And I would imagine that what he offered to God on that day, you could have put in a fair and win the prize. He brings the best of the best. 
And God rejects it. Mean old God says, that's not good enough for me. But Abel, oh, Abel, the fair-haired child, the one God loves, oh, he brings a lamb. He didn't have to work hard to make that happen. And all of a sudden, he brings a lamb, and oh, yeah, God accepts his gift, but he doesn't mine. At first glance, it almost looks like it doesn't make sense. Why would God do that? But as we look carefully at the story, there are several words that give us some insight into what's going on. In the text before us, as we were reading together, I told you that the Bible says, in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. In the course of time is an interesting phrase. It literally means at the end of days. At the end of days, he brings an offering. At the end of days really is a reference to the Sabbath. What happens when God created the world? At the end of the days, he rested. And on the Sabbath day, he rested. The very fact that the Bible says at the end of the days, Cain brings forth his offering indicates that there was at least in his mind a time for worship. That maybe there had been a time established by God. Perhaps Adam and Eve had taught their children that the Sabbath day is the day of rest. It is that day that we come and we offer our praise offering to God. It is that day that we set aside for him. There's another word there too that indicates thought when he says at the end of the days, it came about in time, he brought. Well, that would bring with it an idea of a place, right? He brought his offering. Where did he bring it to? There must have been a place for him to bring his offering. He didn't just stand out in the field and offer it. He, he gathered it together to bring it somewhere, which seems to indicate to me that not only was there a time assessed for worship, there was a place assigned for worship. God had said, this is the place where I'm going to meet you. This is the place where we will worship. This is the time. And it just makes sense to me if God establishes a time and a place, then he also establishes a way, a method, a plan that you will bring a certain thing to this experience of worship. There is a sacrifice that is acceptable to me. All of this indicates, if you will, revelation. God had revealed to them that there is a time and a place and an appropriate offering that you will bring. That's the only way that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 can say that Abel's offering was offered in faith. And that's what he says, isn't it? By faith. Abel offered his offering. Well, well, how could he do that? Well, the Bible tells us how you can do that by faith. Because the scripture says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how is it that Abel had faith? 
the revelation of God. God had communicated there is a time and there is a place and there is a manner in which you are to bring a sacrifice to me so that our relationship can be established and we can move forward. And obedience to that plan is an act of faith. That's how he offered it by faith. I believe that this blood sacrifice was what God demanded. God required it. Seems to fit because when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they had sinned, the first thing that happens in the Bible is death. God kills. The first thing to die on the planet was at the hand of God. God killed an innocent animal to provide from that animal coverings for Adam and Eve. And the symbol of that is that God would kill an innocent substitute to pay the penalty for their sin. The wages, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The reason we're going to die is because we are sinners separated from God. And if God wants us to live, then somebody's got to die and pay the penalty for our sin. And God establishes the sacrificial system that we see throughout the entire Old Testament where lambs were offered as an innocent substitute for our sin, ultimately pointing to the time that Jesus himself would become that sacrifice, would become that lamb. Because John the Baptist says of Jesus when he sees him coming, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He will die. It will be his blood shed to pay for your sin. The sacrifice is to remind them that they are sinners separated from God and only through the blood of an innocent substitute can you be restored in right fellowship with God. But somehow, Cain got tired of that. There's no indication in the text before us that this was the first time they had offered their sacrifice to God. I think that they had offered the sacrifice many times. And I think that it was over that many time process that Cain finally came to the point where he says, why do I have to always go to my brother and get a lamb? Why should I have to go to him in order to get that? Why isn't what I do good enough for God? I mean, our work is hard as he do, if, if, if not harder, and it's more difficult to provide what I provide, and why can't I offer this to God? It is as good as any lamb that my brother raises. And so Cain says to himself, I think I will. And he comes up with his own plan, and he offers the first fruits, the best that he had, not an old shirt, but this best was not accepted. Interesting, Cain, his name occurs in another place in the New Testament, actually in the book of Jude, chapter 1 of Jude, only one chapter in verse 11. When Jude is talking about the end of time, and, and as he talks about the people that are characteristic of the end times, this is what he says. It's interesting, he says, they have gone the way of Cain. Now, now, what is the way of Cain? I think it's the way of disobedience. It's the way of saying, God, I want to come to you, but I want to come on my terms. I want to come my way instead of your way. The second thing that we learn from this story before us is that we must accept God's plan, not our own. You see, Cain's way says, I want to come to God. I want to believe in God, but I want to do it my way. I 
should have the right to approach God any way I want. I, I want to read his word and pick from it the parts that I like and make application of that to my life. And if I don't like it and if I don't agree with it, I should have the right to discard that. I, I want to come to God on my terms. And what he does is he denies his own evil nature by bringing an offering that is not a sacrifice of blood. He was simply saying, I'm not evil. That, uh, that concept's alive and well in our world today, isn't it? It's offensive to call someone a sinner. I'm not a sinner. That's such a horrible word. It's mean. It's provocative. Why would you refer to me as a sinner? It, 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 it destroys self-esteem to say to someone that you are a sinner. Now, I make mistakes, and so maybe you could call me a mistaker, but I'm, I'm not a sinner. And the Bible says, no, you're a sinner. You are separated from God. Your best is nothing but filthy rags before the Lord. You see, there are two standards here. Man's standard is always a standard of deeds. We think that a person has his value in what he does. And so I want to be good enough for God. And, and I know that I'm not perfect, but, but I'm better than someone. And as long as I can find someone worse than me, then God ought to accept me for who I am. He denies that he is a sinner. God says, no, I want a blood sacrifice. I want you to admit that you, you are a sinner separated from me, and there's no way you can be made right with me apart from your sin debt being paid. I want you guys to be reminded of the fact that you need a redeemer. You, you, you can't fix the problem that you have. You, you might come up with your own way of salvation, but you can't deny your evil nature. He, he not only denies his evil nature, he, he, he tries to deny that he is separated from God. That sin separates us from God, and only when sin is dealt with can we come into his presence. God's a holy God. You and I can't come into the presence of God. We are sinners separated. And unless our sin is dealt with, we can never come into his presence. And how can I come into his presence? I, I've got to do something to fix my sin. I've got to offer God something, but my offering is never enough. God said, something must die in order that your sin debt can be paid. And that something always pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. He is saying here, I'm going to make my own way to God. I, I, I'm going to come up with my own plan. You see, Abel, when he comes with his sacrifice, this, this is really what he is saying. He says, God, you, you said you wanted this as a sacrifice, and so I'm bringing you what you want. And you promised that if I bring you what you want, you'll forgive me of my sin. And you'll establish me in right relationship with you. And so by faith, here it is. I give it to you. There's not anything I can do to fix my broken relationship with you, so I just bring you what you've asked for. And I trust that you'll do it. 
The amazing thing to me about Abel's offering is that it doesn't involve any effort on his part. <laughs> it doesn't win any battles. It doesn't fell any giants. He doesn't perform any miracles. He just walks in obedience and says, God, if that's what you want, here it is. I give you what you want. I walk in obedience because there's nothing else I can do. As I've mentioned to you, we live in a world today that just defines everything based on what we do. For us, greatness is seen in deeds. And then I noticed this week, I, I'm, I'm a fan of sports, and so I love the Olympics. Every four years, I spend time watching the Olympics. But you know, I was taken this year in a different way. The Olympics did get your attention this year, didn't it? Because it says 2020 Olympics. Did that bother anybody else? It just drives me crazy. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Everything says 2020. Did they forget? And that's another ADD thing, squirrel, I'm sorry. Um, but watching the Olympics this year, this, this thought came to my mind. Can you name anyone who placed fourth? They may have come in fourth by a hundredth of a second. And we don't even know who they are. They're the best on the planet. Do you understand that these people that came in fourth, these people that didn't even place are the greatest that this planet has to offer? And it wasn't good enough? And you know what I saw? I even saw people who won the silver that were broken because they didn't win the gold. And I wonder to myself, where, where, where does a fourth place person do when he goes home? He spent the same amount of time, the same amount of energy, the same amount of effort, the same amount of money, the same commitment. And he goes home forgotten. I, I wonder if they spend the rest of their life thinking to themselves, I was a hundredth of a second away from being somebody and now I'm just a nobody. You know what it reminds me of? The best we offer is never good enough. Even those that hold the gold medal today are gonna be beaten by somebody tomorrow. And if the world system of works works, <laughs> Most of us don't have a shot. And God says, no one does. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. Your best is never good enough. But that's not what I want from you. And then I was reminded of this. I was brought back to, to, to the T-ball days, Little League. You remember Little League? When your kid gets up there and some of them don't even know how to hold the bat. You know, they, they, they hold it all wrong and, and boy, they, they, they swing at it. 
And then you got some that, boy, they, they got it down. You know, they tap their shoes and, you know, and get up there and they swing well. But this is what I've learned about, about Little League. As a parent, I don't really even expect my son to hit the ball. And it's okay. In fact, he can go out swinging. And I'm still yelling at him, good swing. Good job. Because all I want you to do is give your best. And I'm wondering if God is saying, you know what? What I want from you, Cain, is is for you to give me what I ask. Do your best. I know you can't do it. I know your good's not good enough. I know that you'll never earn salvation. So what I want you to do is just do what I tell you to do and trust me for the rest. Because in the story before us, Cain tries to make his own way to God. And I notice that we still do the same thing today. We think by meditation, we think by good deeds, we think by following a good teacher. But Jesus says, no, guys, there's only one way. By faith in me and what I've done for you, will you have eternal life. Finally, I I noticed this in the story. And I think Abel teaches us this. We serve a God who is a gracious, merciful, loving, long-suffering God. And he invites us to trust him. You know the thing that's most interesting to me about this story is that Cain, with a heart that is not right with God, with a mind that he's going to do things on his own, with an attitude that I'm going to make my own way and, and oppose God, he brings his offering. And God says, no, Cain, I'm not going to accept that. And Cain gets angry. And the Bible says his glance falls. And God says, whoa, 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 wait, wait, Cain. Why are you mad? Why, why has your glance fallen? If you do well, won't your glance raise again? Another translation says it this way. If you do well, won't your sacrifice be acceptable? You know what God was saying? Hey, just go get a lamb. It's okay, Cain, that's that's not what I want. But what I want is a relationship with you. What I want is for, for our broken relationship to be established. So Cain, don't be angry that it doesn't work out the way you want. Hey, go get a lamb. And if you go get a lamb and you offer the sacrifice the way I told you to, guess what, Cain? I'll accept it. I'll forgive you. In that amazing story, we find in the very beginning pages of the Bible that our God is a God of another chance. I used to say he was a God of a second chance until I was driving home one day listening to a pastor on the radio preach. 
and it was a black pastor that I've come to love and appreciate, and he made this statement. He said, some folks call God the God of a second chance, but he's not because I've already blown my second chance and my third and my fourth. What I've discovered, he's not a God of second chance. He's a God of another chance. And you know what, I, you know what Abel teaches us? He's the God of another chance. You know what that means for you today? He invites you today to trust him. You see, there are some of you that have turned your back on God. You have gone your way as opposed to his. You're angry. You're bitter. You're frustrated because God hadn't done things the way you think he should. And you know what? God's not mad at you. He's saying, hey, why are you mad? My way is right and good. Come to me. Trust me. If you'll just... Hey, if you'll bring the right offering, I'll accept it. I'll give you forgiveness. Cain, it's not about Abel. It's about you and me. You are a sinner separated. And the only way that we can be made right is through a sacrifice of blood. And I want to tell you today, you are a sinner separated from God. But Jesus came and became that sacrifice for you. He died in your place so that you, through faith in Jesus, can come to him. And so if you have been trusting anything else to get you to heaven, he says, hey, don't, don't, don't trust those things anymore. Come to me. Trust me. For those of you that are angry and bitter and given up, he's saying, don't, don't, don't give up. Come. You know what he's ultimately saying as he says to Cain, listen, Cain, this is the moment of decision. Guy, you got to make a decision. And I'm going to tell you how serious the decision is. If you don't decide now to go get the right offering and bring it back so that we can be what we need to be, you never will. Sin is crouching at the door. Satan is to pounce on the decision you make and make it permanent. Don't, don't do that, Cain. Offer the right sacrifice. By faith, receive me as your Savior. And God's saying the same thing. There's some of you that have been toying with the decision to follow Christ for years and years and years, and there's all kinds of reasons and excuses that you offer, and Jesus is saying, listen, this is a critical moment in your life. Don't blow it. Sin is crouching at the door, and if you choose to reject me today, you may never have the opportunity to choose again. Choose today and know that forgiveness is available. Well, Abel, though he is dead, is still speaking. And he's saying that the only way to God is through faith, not through what you've done. Your good's not good enough. You don't get to make your own way to him. You come to him through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And in him, you have life if you place your faith and trust there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you have given us today. This message is for those that are listening at this very moment. Before we were born, 
you knew that we would be right here and your Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that those in this room that need to make a decision will make that decision for you to receive you as the gift of eternal life, to acknowledge we are separated by our sin. We need a savior. And I ask God that you would come and offer salvation to all that are listening. I pray that they would come to a place where they acknowledge that they're a sinner separated from you. You come and and receive them as they, by faith, receive you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.